Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Spiral Out Podcast. I'm your host, Chris West. So if you've ever heard Chocolate Chip Trip, or seen Tool Live in the last, I don't know, 11 years or so, you know that after the 12-minute intermission, Danny Carey comes out and he begins to make some very wild sounds come out of this strange box that sits next to his drum set. This box has like a bunch of wires and knobs and flashing lights and kind of like a mad scientist, he starts turning these countless knobs ever so slightly until these seemingly random noises create uh, this pattern of sound or melody, if you will, which often reminds me of like an 80s chase scene out of Terminator, but nonetheless. And then once this melody starts to emerge, Danny Carey gets on his drum set and he just starts melting faces for about 15 minutes and, and does like a crazy drum solo over this over these sounds. On the show today, we have Peter Grenader. Peter built what's called a modular synthesizer and it's the instrument Danny Carey uses to create like the robotic melody sounds that you hear in Chocolate Chip Trip and also when he plays it live. It's a, it's a very interesting instrument uh, it's very old, and there's a lot of like, secret collectors of them out there. Anyways, Peter built this instrument, and he comes on, and he, he talks about his friendship with Danny Carey, and working with Tool, and a little bit of history on the modular synthesizer. It's, it's a very, very interesting episode, and he's a, he's a great guy, and he was a great guest, and I, I hope you really enjoy the episode, because I really enjoyed recording it. Oh, thank you. Spiral out and let's go. Spiral out. I'm your host, Chris West. And today on the show, very special guest, we have Peter Grenader. You're one of four people who said it correctly the first time in my life. So good for you. You want to hear something funny? For some reason, I'm really good at that. I don't know why. I tend to get people's names right on the first first go round. Well, the secret is uh, looking at syllables, right? That's how you do it. Yeah, no, good. It's good. How do people usually pronounce your name? Grenada, or they go and they stop. They just get frustrated. <laughs> They're yeah. like, uh, if you yeah. don't know who Peter is already and you're listening, you should go to his Facebook page or... Go see Tool Live because Peter built what's known as the Toolbox. Yes. And can you explain to everyone what the Toolbox is? Well, to do that right, I think, uh, I mean, the Toolbox is a name for a, that I coined. It finally stuck. It took forever for them to start using it, uh, but they do now. It's a modular analog digital hybrid synthesizer. Three quarters of it are modules of my own design that I used to manufacture under the name Plan B, and later under the name Ear, which stood for Electroacoustic Research. A modular synthesizer is a, a very now pretty popular. It's had a rebirth as of about 15 years ago. Type of synthesis which was deemed archaic and outdated. After uh, MIDI popped up, actually after the polyphonic keyboards such as uh, the Oberheims and sequential circuits machines came up in the early 80s, 
for a very good reason because modules are really hard to use creatively in live performance. And the, what makes them different, um, if you picture for a second your home stereo, you might have a tuner, you might have an amplifier, you might have a preamp, and you connect those together in the back with patch cables. And modular synthesizers work in the very same way. You have a series of devices, they call them modules. You can think of them like plugins in a computer that do certain functions, and you use patch cables to plug in and out, and in and out, and listen, and then there's other signals that don't make noise but control the ones that do. All right. So Danny, Terry, maybe we should step back a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll kind of explain a little. So if you've seen Tool Live, Danny Carey does about a 10-minute drum solo. And at the beginning of the drum solo, he makes this beat, or but he makes these sounds with this synth box, actually a couple of synth boxes. And then he does like a 10 minute drum solo to this uh, patch of, of looping beats and sounds and music. And it's wild and it's awesome. And, and you built the box that Danny uses to make those sounds and loops. Yeah. Yeah. Danny before this used to use another instrument in England called Cynthia AKS, which is a fine instrument, but it's much smaller. And I met Danny through Kevin Key of Skinny Puppy. Uh, Kevin and I were doing a project together. Danny had a certain type of module made by a company called Bukla, who was one of the two founders of module synthesis. And it's very interesting. It's like uh, Marconi and the other guy were developing the photograph player at the same time, but neither of them knew they were each doing it. And Don Bukla in Berkeley and Bob Moe, uh, we're developing the modular synthesizer at the same time. I knew both those guys really well. Bob Moog is a very, very bright engineer from Cornell, but he wasn't a creative mind like Bukla was. And Bukla was very abstract and uh, an odd thinker. And his instruments were bizarre and creative and were not akin to make uh, conventional music. You couldn't do that famous Lucky Man solo on a Bukla system. Okay, the other side of the coin, you couldn't do the stuff that you could do in a book like a moke. I was doing a project with Kevin, and Danny owns a very large Google system. He owns a larger moke. And there was a certain Google module he couldn't get running, and I knew how to get it running. So they had me over in the studio, tool studio in Hollywood, and uh, Danny and I hit it off immediately. And the oddest thing is, our first common denominator their denominator was King Crimson, a band that he has a lot of respect for that I've been addicted to since 1969. And uh, I remember Danny said, you know, I said, I really hate rock music now, but King Crimson, I can't. And he goes, it's like the scab, you can't stop pulling. I said, exactly, right? So I started off doing repairs for Danny's various synthesizers. He owns it's a very, very impressive collection. And then one day he said to me, I'd like to do a plan B system. I've been buying your, because I had stopped manufacturing. And he said, I've been buying them up in eBay as I find them. Now, my experience, look, I lived in LA. There's a big music city. And all, there's a lot of really famous people that use 
synthesizers in this city, and eventually they will migrate through to you. You'll hear from them. Okay, I did a system for Trent Reznor, well, actually, Alessandro Portini, but not anything else. I did one for Guns N' Roses. I did one for a smaller system for, well, uh, Chemical Brothers used my stuff. Brian Eno was using my stuff. I know well enough not to push it first when they suggest this. And I said to myself, is he serious? I'll hear from him again about it. And about three months later, it's the only time Danny ever got passive aggressive with me. He was like, oh, okay, I guess it's not going to happen. I was like, no, dude, I was waiting to hear from you. We can make it happen. It was very late in the game. We had three and a half weeks to build this system. When I say we, it was me and one other guy, a guy by the name of Chad Smith, uh, also a very good friend of mine. Chris, I will send you a link that you should post about Chad. He works a lot with Hans Zimmer, but he also does works with metals, and he's the one that made that fabulous case. Okay, We put it together. I delivered it to Danny 90 minutes before a limousine was going to pick him up take him to LAX to fly to Australia to begin that tour with the system. That was about exactly nine years ago. It was a week, nine years and a week ago this happened. And that system has been going around the world with them ever since. So nine years ago, when you dropped this first uh, Plan B system with him, what, what yeah. how is he using it on stage nine years ago? Exactly how he is now. And the interesting thing is, is, you know, he had been doing a drum solo with the synth for eons. But when they were recording Fear Inoculum, he said, oh, I want to do the drum solo on this record. This is one of the best days of my life. I was being filmed in the morning for a documentary that was about modular synthesis. And I was going to take those guys out to lunch. And I got a text from Justin Chancellor saying, can you be at A&M today? And I was like, what time? He says, like, in an hour. So I had to cancel my lunch with these guys, right? And I drove out to A&M, which uh, Studio D is where they record Ferranoculum. It's a very sacred music room. It's where Carol King did Tapestry. It's where the Rolling Stones recorded Gimme Shelter, right? And then we wow. did that solo, which was later named Chocolate Chip Trip. And uh, just for the record, I mean... What I love about Tool Pants, one, they're so devoted, okay? But there's mythologies that are born about the music and the intention of the music. And there's some reference that people think that chocolate chip trip is something to do with a specific type of acid, right? Yeah. I was um, going to ask you, what do you think chocolate chip trip? I know uh, exactly what it's named after. A&M Studios would, give, would leave a big plate of chocolate chip cookies in their control room, and they would just replenish it. And that's the name. Okay, um, that's where it came from. There's no question about that. That's so he, that's pretty hilarious, <laughs> right? Another great story. So, uh, Eurorack, which is the type of system, it's it's under the there's certain types. How tall it is, what kind of power it uses, and the Eurorack system is one that the Plan B format fits into. And some of the modules, not maybe not mine, but create noise, okay? And I was very nervous about recording in a recording studio and not getting the noise floor problem, which would probably, if I was standing there, I'd say, fuck it, it's not going to happen, right? So, uh, Jim, uh, Joe Barisi, great man, also a dog lover, Chris, used to bring his lab to uh, the studio every day. He uh, was the engineer, and I remember 
I heard it. We had like five voices going, and I heard it. So I go up to the window. I was in the performance room, and I kind of wiggled my earlobe, right? And I heard him over the speaker, yeah, what's up? And I said, look, we need uh, four channels of isolation transformers, uh, four patch cords that are mini to to XLR. And this, because this is A&M, there were like four runners just frantically looking for these things. And five minutes later, they were all in play. If this was almost any other studio in, in L.A., that could have been take three hours. They would have to go to a music store and buy this stuff, but this is A&M, so they had it. Anyway, he got rid of the noise, and that's when I knew that that track was going to be in the album, and I did the programming for that synthesizer for the stuff that you heard in the record. And very, just because Danny is Danny, I got to thank you in the album. I just thank you. I don't know if you've ever noticed. Adam was very, very, you know, quick to mention, you don't know how many people we had to turn down that we just didn't have room for, but Danny insisted that you be one of them. That was really great. So you're you're saying they turned down people to come into the studio or to be on the record? No, just to be in the thing. I mean, it's just so much room. Yeah, you, you have a you're you're, yeah. you're kind of like Liam Neeson, where you have like a specific set of skills that you know not a lot of people you have. Yeah, how many people can can troubleshoot this synthesizer box? Well, like, that's the great thing about Danny. He appreciates it, and. You get, especially as an instrument designer, you have his immediate respect. Okay, and, and it's funny, Chris, most of the guys that are on top of the game that I've worked with are exactly like that. It's the ones that are trying to get there that get a little punky, that give me problems, and right? So Danny, I mean, shit. It's got to the point where I design the patches, I make the changes, and I'm always trying to evolve it and, and because Danny wants me to, he doesn't want the same sounds every time. And we sometimes we have to change modules and we have to reconfigure the system. And a perfect example is the fact that on these last, the current tour and the last one in America, they now have two modulars. Uh, he it took delivery of a Phoenix. It's made by a company from wonderful people in Amsterdam. And I said, dude, let's add that. Come on, let's think big. Chris, maybe you've been looking at my posts. I'm doing a case for the a reconfiguring the toolbox, right? Yeah. Well, I, I had to do a case exactly like that for the Phoenix. That's spelled F-E-N-I-X, by the way. The Phoenix and 4. we got it done in time, and we got, you know, Dan, he's such a brilliant guy. One thing I do have to tell you, he is classically trained. I mean, FMI in music education, but he's went to the University of Kansas City, which is a phenomenal music department. When he decided the notes to be played for the Phoenix, he went upstairs to where he keeps his concert size xylophone. He banned those notes out with mallets, wrote them down, and I programmed them into the synthesizer to play. So that, that giant synthesizer you're talking about is the, is it called a Mirimasa? No, no, no. He has, as far as the two things, oh, you mean the marimba lumina, the thing with the big arc? Yeah, on his head? yeah, that's a there's a funny story in there, but uh, no, that's a blue play instrument, very, very, very rare. And you know, Danny's a showman; he could have played that in his little uh, virus, you know, Adam and he keep uh, virus synthesizers, but he wanted to go big and go home, or go home, you know, and he plays uses the marimba lumina 
the electronic marimba, basically, as a controller. And he, the sounds you're hearing are coming from the, the virus. And the virus, uh, uh, again. The synthesizer. Yeah. You know, that's the sound. They, the synthesizer they use on the record is the virus. Outside of the stuff in the drum solo. So, excuse me for not, uh, I'm following you for sure. When it comes to the names of things and, and again, I'm, I don't have much experience with, with the, with these synthesizers. I'm learning from scanning your pages and following and going down rabbit holes. But for the average listener, I'm trying to say this without sounding stupid, but. <laughs> don't worry uh, about it. It's very complicated. Yeah. It, I've I mean, it, it, I've been doing this since 1973. Okay. So yeah. to me, it's in my DNA. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's complicated, but please. So for, for a guy like me, I see this giant box, right? And it's got a lot mm-hmm. of quarter inch inputs and countless knobs. All I see is you, you know, you or Danny Carey live, turn this thing on, start messing with the knobs. And all of a sudden this fantastical sound comes out that really reminds me of eighties movies. He plays an awesome drum solo over it. How those sounds yep. get from, from go from you turning on this box to it coming out during a live show is completely beyond me. I I, I understand well, the patches is, and and whatnot, kind of yeah. like a Photoshop or or something like that, or or exactly. using Pro Tools exactly. or something like that. You're putting in these patches, and these are an analog version of that. But how those patches create those sounds in an analog way, I have no idea. Well, there's a digital modules. And some of them, we have a couple, we have three modules that actually play samples that uh, are either vocals or things that I did on my system at home that he liked, so we integrated it into it. So you have to think about using another system that's even bigger than the one Danny has, designing sound on that, recording it, and putting it into a sample player module on his system. Got like it. the... Uh, it usually opens up with, it sounds like uh, gongs, like bells. That's yeah. a, a patch that I did for him. And it closes with a, a vocal line from Terrence McKenna that we, by the way, got approval for. Uh, it was actually my insistence. Not that they would have done it otherwise, okay? But I'm like, dude, we've got to get permission to use this because your tool and you're going to get sued. And they're like, yes, we will. So why don't you work on that? <laughs> okay, so it's funny. There's a, Chris, what is that famous, Art Bell's famous radio station when he talks about UFOs? Uh, you know, well, I know exactly what you're what talking I, about. You're talking about Art Bell's Coast to Coast. Like all the conspiracy theories and aliens. And I'm pretty sure Tool had an episode or part of an episode in one of their songs an anima, if I'm not correct, where there was a guy in a phone booth talking about extra dimensional beings. Anyways, Art Bell, coast to coast, AM or FM? Not sure. And they you- own the right to to a lot of Terrence McKenna's audio files. I tracked down Terrence McKenna's widow through their foundation, and I talked to her directly. She's a marvelous lady, and she gave us approval. We had to pay for it as a license, but it was for a, her, she has a, basically a farm where she grows psychedelics. She goes, if you give us a contribution of X amount, you can use it. And that's what we did. That one sample has been cut up a little bit and affected 
And that was done by Jill Frazier, who is a dear friend of mine I've known since we went to CalArts together, who I've also done a record for called, with called Zizek Society, which Danny Carey, by the way, plays on. He was extraordinarily honored to do it. Uh, just little drum rolls that I processed. But, but Jill kind of cut that up so it just wasn't straight talking and made it interesting. And that's another sound file that he selects usually at the end. But as far as what happens every night, that's completely up to him. Yeah. I have given him six different sounds that are independent. We'll see. One, two, three, four of them are synced together. Actually, five when you attach the, include the Phoenix playing the melody. But the order they come into are never the same. And they're always Danny's creation. And the interesting thing is that whole thing is at 15. And that was his insistence. Before, it used to be in seven. He would play over it in eight. But this one is in 15. So um, so for the people listening, you're talking about the timing. It, it's played in 15. Yeah. And yeah. how could you explain 15 to somebody who has no idea about time signatures? I know. Well, okay. Uh, the most standard one is four, four, right? One, yeah. two, three, four. Right. One, two, three, four. Well, this one is in 15, four, which means. It doesn't become a new measure of music until 15 beats have happened instead of just four beats. And the interesting or um, the complex part about that is in Western music, we have been disciplined to think at least even numbers. Yeah. So when you have a, a time signature, it's an odd number. It's It goes against your instincts, but that's what Danny wanted to do. And he actually rehearsed that quite extensively before he left. I'll never forget, Chris, that I was hoping that when they started touring again, I forgot where the first show was. Sacramento, maybe? Or, no, it, no, no. Is Eugene, Oregon. Is, is Eugene, Eugene, Oregon. Eugene, Oregon. Yeah, and I was hoping that someone was going to post his drum solo, and they did. And I texted him saying, oh, man, it was beautiful. Thank God, it was really good, dude. And he was like, I just want to make you proud. I mean, can you fucking imagine that? Right, that's so nice. Yeah, a guy that could get away with telling me to fuck off was that gracious. That happens a lot with this guy. Let me tell you a little story. I might get choked up. When we were working on the Plan B system, I was under a horrible deadline. I had three days once I got the case to wire that whole thing up. And I, I noticed that the system and the road case together was like 125 pounds. I said, dude, there's no way that your techs are going to want to lug this around. you got to put rollers on the road case. And I, I don't have time to use the men's room, so you're going to have to drive out to my house and pick this up. Well, okay, no problem, no problem. He shows up. You know, I get a call. He's in the lobby. I go down. He's talking to the security guard, this young kid who recognized him, right? We go up. We do our business. We go down. That security guard was on the phone. Danny Carey stood there for a good two minutes politely, silently, waiting for him to get off the phone so he could give him a proper goodbye. That's so awesome. All right. How many people? I wouldn't do that. I actually How many have a, would do that? I actually have a Danny Carey story myself. I, uh, Go ahead. I was about 18 years old and 19 years old and couldn't, couldn't have been more than 20, I'll tell you that. I somehow, I, I, I watched Tool Live and, and then everybody left. The venue, except for me. I just kind of waited around and nobody asked me to leave. And I decided to walk backstage without a pass, without anything. 
I ended up in some room with Danny Carey, uh, you know, 20 or 30 other people all eating food. And yeah, I was again, 19 years old. This guy's my idol. Uh, I will, you know, I'm a, I'm a drummer myself. I'm practically shaking. Uh, cause you know, Danny Carey's about 20 feet in front of me and I just wandered. I just wandered into this room. Nobody stopped me. As a matter of fact, another guy was like, Hey, up here. It was like some staircase in Las Vegas. And, uh, I get up there and I wait around and some guy comes up to me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm just like, I'm waiting for Danny Carey to have a minute so I can say hello and introduce myself. And, uh, he's like, Oh, give me two seconds. He goes over, says, Hey, you got a big fan over here. You know, just wants to say hello. And Danny Carey walked over, took a picture with me, signed my ticket, you know, talked to me for, you know, a minute and a half and was yeah. completely nicest guy. And he didn't have to do that. I, I shouldn't have been there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, look, look, listen, we joke around. That's a lovely story, by the way. We joke around with the freaks, you know? I mean, sometimes you get these guys that are like, okay, dude, just turn it down a little bit, you know? Um, but if you are gracious and thankful and appreciative of everything he's ever gotten that he he knows better not to return love with love okay he'll never have to worry about that throughout the tours guys that have helped us i always call danny or write him say hey dude you're playing you know memphis they have a certain amount of free tickets for each show i said you know if you can cut two loose blah 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 helped us out he gave us some advice or gave us that cable. Can you take care of them? Yep. No problem. You know, like the guys from Phoenix, they're coming to Amsterdam and, uh, they're going to, they really were terrific with me under this deadline and they're going to go to the show and they're going to go backstage. And Danny will just, will love meeting them because again, he has great respect for the people that make estimates and help him give him the tools to do his thing. That's so awesome. I tell you the truth. Nobody really asks me why I do the podcast. At the end of the day, you know, talking to somebody like you, I want to know more about the band. Uh, I mean, not necessarily even more about the band. There's a lot out there, but I want to know all the, the people that help the band. You know, I want to know all the yeah. people behind the scenes. Just the fact. Yeah, and there's a lot of them. And they're all really, 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 really good at what they do. I've worked with other bands. I can't name them that they all hate each other, the band members hate each other, the techs hate each other, the roadies don't want to be there, and they're just in it for the money, and it's not like that with Tool. I mean, he, uh, Joe Paul has been his drum tech since 1992, okay? That should say everything. Yeah, it, it definitely shows because they take those group photos, everybody's polished, everybody seems happy all the time. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I know yeah. when it comes to the fans, there's, there's a lot of hiccups with merchandise and stuff, but that's going to happen. They've never not, yeah. they never not delivered. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story about that. A couple of tours ago, they played in San Diego. And it was a weird night because it was at UC San Diego and the basketball stadium. And the guys that worked the stadium didn't know how things work. So like, for instance, I had a, I had a tech pass. I could walk up on stage during the show. And I went outside because my dogs were with me. They couldn't, they didn't let the dogs in. So the guys, I have a convertible. They were just sitting in the parking lot all night. And I wanted to go see them. And they didn't want me to come back in the studio. I mean, in the hall. I said, dude, there will not be a drum solo. It was during intermission. I said, there's not going to be a drum solo unless I get back in there. And he was acting like I stole it from someone. 
So I just went through the main entrance. They let me right in. Before that, you know, there's this thing in concerts where you can buy a super ticket kind of thing, right? You you get to sit in on sound check and you get to meet yeah, them, right? I've done it. Yeah. Okay, some bands have it all worked out. Like, if you do this with King Crimson, Robert Fripp will give you a fucking slideshow, okay? I mean, he knows exactly what the, the program will be. <laughs> Adam was doing talking to me. He had no friggin' idea what to say. So I'm in the back of the hall walking forward. He's like, oh, there's Peter Grenada, our synth tech. And I, like four people turn around and now staring at me. And it's so funny because Adam didn't know he was winging it, okay? That was pretty funny. I've only met Maynard twice, and I've been very polite with him. It's been very brief. You know, the other three are like, you know, where we text each other. We're buddies. As a matter of fact, it's a funny story. When Danny announced that his having his first child, Justin was standing next to me. For some reason, he just looked at me and said, you know, my wife and I are talking about adopting. We might adopt a child. So I left a note on his face that night saying, I got your message. And I just want you to know I am open for adoption, and I would love to talk to you about this more. Thank you, Dad, Peter. Okay. <laughs> and that and that was to Justin Chancellor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And he's he, Justin is a fucking lap right. Very funny guy. Yeah, he seems so, like it. Yeah, and what a god, the talented people—they're all incredible. And that's kind of what I was getting with with the um, you know talking to individuals behind the scenes is because they seem to be masters at what they do. And I don't think they would hire or get people to work with them that a aren't masters at what they do, including yourself and have as good of as, or have good attitudes like them. There's a reason tool is like bottom line is can they deliver under pressure and will your decisions work? And once they establish trust, I mean, there's a couple times where I screwed up. They had to stop using the modular in the last three shows of the American Leg of the Tour because there was a problem, serious problem. And he didn't yell at me. He was like, you know, no, dude, I can just do the drug solo by myself for three days. It's no big deal. But he knew that when he got back, I would get it working, okay? Uh, and I didn't feel responsible or guilty about that. I mean, I built that system like a brick shit house. I mean, they could have gone up and out of space. NASA would have said, yeah, it's fine. They around the world like nine times. I mean, certain it's going to break. Finally, yeah. Right? And he was so cool about it. And that's a professional. I can't name names, but yeah. I have worked with other very big mainline acts. And I'll get a phone call that they're in Europe at three in the morning, but some guy's screaming at me. You know, and I'm like, okay, all right. I guess somehow it was my fault, even though I was asleep in another continent. You know, <laughs> you never have to worry that thing. You never have to worry about him one day being just who is this person. It's very gracious. He, you know, he accepts my. I always show up at the docks. Matter of fact, my only final contribution, I mean, permanent contribution to that band is the rear entrance of the studio. We put up a dog fence. So my little. My one of my two dogs is a wanderer. He likes to be outside, so now he can be outside without starting to walk to Arizona kind of thing. That's my my firmly contribution to the tool. You were around them so much that uh you uh they installed a dog door because you bring your dogs around so much. Yeah. Oh I can send you some pictures hey, can, of can him you... petting Wiley, it will make your heart 
Okay. Do you mind holding on for one sec? One second. I have a dog at the vet right now, and the vet is calling me. Just hold yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Two two seconds. Okay. Hello. Hi, this is calling from Animal Hospital. Hello. Hi, I just wanted to let you know that we are finished with Foxy's dental. Everything went really well. Um, she did have one extraction, came out pretty easily, but other than that, everything cleaned up pretty well. She's in recovery right now. If you want to give us a call about 1 o'clock, we can let you know what time she'll be ready to go. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Sorry about that, Peter. Is he okay? Yeah, no. I oh, One of my dogs, she's about 11, uh, had a tooth infection, and her whole side of her face swelled up. Oh, and, I had that happen to Dakota. It's so sad. And uh, we, I took her to get a teeth cleaning and, and then the fix. She's been on antibiotics for the last couple of days, so the swelling went down and uh, but he's okay. Are they going to have to pull the tooth? Yeah, they pulled the tooth. It's, it's all fine. She's fine. Uh, they'll let me pick her up at about one today, so that's great. Yeah, I had one, and I have a picture of little Dakota with the whole side of his face swollen. And, and, you know, the lovely thing about the bond with dogs is that you learn their facial expressions, yeah. right? And it always cracks me up when people can't read dogs. It's like, what? I mean, this is so obvious. And his little, he was miserable. I applaud you for being a good dog dad. Thank it's you. ASPCA slogan, but it's very true that we give voices to the voiceless, right? Yeah, it's a measure of a great person as far as I'm concerned. And that's another story I want to tell you about Danny. I never met his father. I met his mother and his stepdad. Mother's a great lady. Stepdad was a great guy. I, he invited me once to their house for Thanksgiving dinner which was great. But his father seemed like a great man. His father was like the local, he owned the local pro uh, golf shop, was a freak as far as music. Uh, had Danny start listening to Stravinsky when he was like four years old. And that's what got, that's what lit the fire. Danny and his father, he said, was embarrassingly supportive of him. But his dad <laughs> and my dad were dying at the same time. And his father passed away about a month maybe two months before mine did. So when my father died, and my, I was, you know, some people are just born with shit parents and that's the way life goes and it's terrible. I was not that unfortunate. My father was a, a saint. And he lived to be 94. He worked until two weeks before he died. He didn't have to. So when he died, I was, you know, tasked with that, that horrible task of emptying out the house and sorting through all that stuff. And, I've been there. And, yeah, it's hard, right? It's, you find all the things. I don't mean embarrassing things, although I did find a pile of penthouses in my desk. <laughs> that was a little weird. But uh, so I left this, my house about three in the morning, and I had to drive the freeway right past Danny's place. And I was in a daze, and I was just like not there. And I I drove by this the uh, studio, and it was a night he had played the baked potato. So there's cars out front, and I knew there were people in, so I pulled in. I walked in. He saw me across that room. And he picked me up off my feet, hugging me. That, that was great. Because yeah. he, you know, we felt each other's pain. That was, that was really great. So he's a great man. So for and the, I will, I will take a bullet for the guy. So for okay. people listening, what Peter's talking about is that Danny Carey is a really good friend. <laughs> it, it, sh- it shines a new light, I think. Because you, yeah. ne- you never really know. You, you only know what you hear, you know, through rumor and online and interviews. But 
until you meet somebody that's friends with, you know, somebody like Danny Carey, you, you don't truly know. And it's really comforting to hear that somebody that I've looked up to for fucking 20 years is a really good friend to his friends. It, it makes going yeah, to no, school yeah. all that much better. I don't know why, oh, yeah, listen, but it does. Yeah, no, listen, we'll be at, he doesn't do it as much as he used to. He has two young boys. He can't. He has to be home. But he used to have people over to the studio a lot. Shit, I used to hang out there with him all the time. I remember one time we left, you know, and we've been there since six the following morning, and we're just sitting there listening to music, okay, which is always very fun until about 3 a.m. He always puts on Utopia, Todd Rundgren, and I cannot stand that band. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of like, oh, whatever. I mean, let's go back to George Duke, dude. Let's listen to, you know, we have a lot of uh, shared drummers that we admire. It's like, you know, let's go back to Tony Williams' lifetime, please. I've met um, the guys that play with the uh, Zappas band, or the new Zappas band. Met some very famous people. But he one day, I'm like, hey, who are you? And he's like, oh, I'm a plumber. Uh, I, I grew up with Andy, just flew me out from Kansas City. I mean, come on. It's fantastic, right? right? That's, that's awesome. Yeah, he doesn't. And I appreciate yeah. you telling me all these Danny stories, but let's talk about you a okay, little bit more. Let's go to the elephant. Okay, so Danny, when Danny was starting with Tool, I mean, we all know uh, the stories, but he was, they were getting approached by record labels. Okay. At the time, Danny was a driver for an audio store called Amatron. It's still around. Okay. And the, the great story being that he was, he went to, I don't know what label they signed with initially. I think it was Zoo, right? Zoo, was it Zoo? Okay. He had to go to the meeting to sign contracts, and it was during lunch, his lunch break, and he came home back to work late. The guy fired him. They're now very good friends. Danny still gets the employee discount. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's this great conversation that Danny talked about an experience when he was working at Amatron where he did brand audio for the Dolly Wall. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I, I won't share the audio, but for those listening, it's hilarious. Um, it's just three grown men, and I'm not trying to be rude. It's three grown men yelling at each other about. Well, there's one part of it where it's like he says, "I just sat with a dolly while and I said, "You're fucking kidding me." He goes, "I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I'm not kidding you." He's all excited. He starts talking about it, and. Even though, you know, he's a little bit uh, animated because of this. But he, you can see it. Great respect for it, right? Yeah, that's that's a story. I don't care how many shows you play and venues you sell out and stadiums you play. You, you never forget running sound for the Dalai Lama, I'll tell you that. Right, right. I'd like to get back a little bit back into you. Again, because you're an expert, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask some certain questions. Why do you think somebody like Danny Carey is into these synth boxes? Like, what 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 is the benefit of using one of these as opposed to well, he, 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 using, he has a, using huge, a keyboard? He has a huge collection of it. He also has a huge collection of guitars. I mean, he's published a book about it. It's called Remembering the Future, where he has pictures of his synth collections. We're going to do a second edition because he's bought too much stuff since. Can you, um, can you say the name of that book again? Remember the future. It's for sale on the Tool website. Yeah. So he's always been, he's a huge fan of Tangerine Dream and uh, Rapalook. And that's where his, his deal started. I was involved with experimental 
electronic music since I was in high school. I went studying the Cal Arts in a composition major to a focus on electronic music composition. And I went because of a guy named Morton Sabotnik. He remains a friend of mine, but he, oh shit, I mean, there are certain books that call him one of the 10 most influential composers of the 20th century. And he was one of the grandfathers of uh, experimental electronic music that made it to quasi mainstream. I mean, he got a, he got a contract with Nonsuch Records, which was a big deal. And they only wanted him because, uh, you know, uh, Switz on Bach, Wendy Carlos, I am not, Records? I am not familiar with that one. Okay, she's another friend of mine. Wendy Carlos uh, studied at Columbia and started doing Bach music on synthesizers. And they released the record in 68. And it remains to this day the greatest selling classical music album ever released. Wow. So all these labels were rushing to get on the bandwagon. Nonsense would not be interested in people doing that. That's much too mainstream for a classical label. And they went for uh, Mort, who was doing really highly experimental things. So that was that was my trip. And Danny's trip was more Tangerine Dream than Kraftwerk. I guess I'm asking more of the the sound quality. Like, what what is it about this synth box or synths in general that are so alluring? Well, it comes down to this. I think we all have certain tastes that we love, your favorite meal, and there's certain places you like to go look at. But for me, for many people, there's also certain sounds that we love. There's something about the sound of a beer opening, right? Or yeah. something about the sound of water dripping. That's me right there, uh, water. Yeah, and and analog synthesis, modular synthesis, allows you to design sound from its raw element. Can't go into it. It would take an hour and nobody would be listening at the end of it. Okay? <laughs> yeah. But it's constructing sound events. You can make them musical. They don't have to be musical. Okay? You can make them musical without making them traditionally musical. It doesn't have to sound like a clarinet. Uh, Don Bupla, who is one of the founders I talked about, my instruments were modeled after the Bupla instruments. His whole deal was, you want a clarinet sound? Go fucking hire a clarinet player. Okay, my box is going to make sounds that no one's heard before. And uh, that's kind of the pull. Okay. He has, to my knowledge, the third best collection in Los Angeles. And that's saying a lot. There's a lot of a lot of musicians. A lot of them are very wealthy. And a lot of them have never thrown anything away. And they have a huge piles of shit. But Danny is extraordinarily impressive. And it's getting better. I mean, we're negotiating right now to purchase him and another one. He trusts me enough, Chris, where I'll say, dude, you got to get this. Uh, we just doubled the size of his smoke. I turned him on to a guy that was selling and he ended up buying it. Because I know it's in his best interest. He would love it. He would take very good care of it. He never sells his stuff, ever. There was one he hadn't even heard of. He said, oh, yeah, 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 I'll get that. You know, that kind of thing. So it's a great job, Chris. I'm like, do this. Here's yeah, this person a, voted the fifth best drummer of all time, Beverly Rolling Stone magazine. You know what I mean? Here's the link. Right. Buy this. I, I couldn't even imagine having that kind of uh, r- relationship with somebody that uh, that big, I guess. You made a, an instruction book for the synth box. Yeah. You have to think about, oh, shit. Okay. The thing that have made satellites miss Mars is miscalculation. It does everything they wanted to do, but they didn't well enough think about 
these circumstances of chance, of a combination of things that they didn't know what the outcome would be. That booklet helps with that. There's probably 200 knobs that 100 or maybe 75 of those knobs I think are critical or shit will come out of the speakers. And I needed a way on the road for them to feel secure that if something happened, they wouldn't have to panic. And they can always call me, okay? But, you know, sometimes I'm not going to be available. And that's what that book is there for. It's just how you, what you have to do to make something that's really not designed for live performance. It's designed to be in the studio to be replicated reliably over a two-month tour when it's just taking a ride in an airplane. That's what that's for. And that's what you do to make sure that the whole concept works, that, it's, that they don't have to worry about. They, they got so many goddamn things to worry about. Oh, yeah. They can't deal with nonsense. So Dude, that's what that book is all about. Between yeah. playing their own instruments, the visuals, staying on time. It's, oh, okay. Yeah. Working with the promoter, make sure they're getting paid. Yeah. Working on merchandise booths, working all these logistics. They so, got signing seven, posters. Yeah, they have got five uh, big rigs back there running with their engines on, waiting for them to load up equipment. It's a big goddamn job. They don't have time to screw around with this stuff. Did you have so to give a go. crash course to Danny Carey's drum tech on, or maybe not yes. a crash course, but like an in depth, like this is, yes. this is what every yes. knob they're, does? They're both, they're both great guys. One, is much more about the logistics, Joe Paul, and that's a big job. And I believe he's also in charge of the whole setup crew. So he's busy. And then there's a guy who's a very good friend of mine, Tim Dawson, who's also a member of the Asset Health. They just opened for Tool yep. in the last leg of this tour. Uh, and he's really good. Okay. And I have complete faith and we're really good friends. Okay. And uh, I mean, we had an incident on the road on the last. American tour that was catastrophic. It was just violently blowing fuses on power up. Tim did okay. He couldn't fix it, but he did okay and he didn't make it worse. I guess that's all you can ask for, right? How and many what they didn't do is give up on it. Oh fuck that shit. You yeah. know? How many yeah. times have you well, seen Danny Carey play chocolate chip trip or use your um rig live? Well, it's it's been used on every show except three of them. No, I'm lying. When they do festivals, when they only have a one-hour set, they don't do it. But every other show, they've done it in nine years. Seen them, I've seen them live four times. Let's see. So I've seen it live four times. I've seen it, you know, on radio probably 50 times. I'm always, I'm always looking for them just to see what he did differently. So when, when they originally came up with the idea to do this live, were you with him while he's creating the, the patterns and the loops and stuff? Uh, it's a little bit more than that. He asked me to create them. And I submit my ideas. That's right. And he gives input. I, I, I love that. I love that. I, let's do this differently, blah, blah, blah. And then I just set it up for him. And it's, at that point, kind of like a mixing council where he can, there's six, actually seven voices now that he can fade in or fade out or effect so it sounds differently and I remember when I I drastically changed it he asked me to okay let's do something you know and he, I drastically changed the patch about a year ago and he said, he said ah, shit I wish we had this on the record 
And then I remember him saying, oh, man, it's giving me goosebumps. So you, you know you did it. So what is your so, creative process making these or designing these uh, these sounds? Well, it, that's a hard thing to say. It, 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 you get really good at it, okay? It's like a photographer. It's like a cinematographer. It's like a, a needlepoint person. You, you get good at your craft. If I don't have a specific idea before I start, Chris, I remember once uh, Mort Sabotnik, I was very fortunate to even work with him because I was only an undergrad. He didn't work with grad undergrads much. He told me once that one of my favorite albums of his is an album called Sky of Cloudless Sulfur. And he said that he designed the patches. That's what it's called. When you connect the sound together, you call it a patch. Okay. He designed the patches for that piece on an airplane flying back home from L.A. where Cal is to New York City. And at the time, I said to myself, oh, that's one bunch of bullshit. He's lying. Hey, <laughs> years later, when I got to that level, I totally get it. So it's either one of those deals, or you start and you're just sticking around and something strikes that chord in you, which is the same chord that when you bite into your favorite food. Okay, so it's this big influx of positive you know, endorphins. Get that um, dopamine. Yeah, dopamine, whatever hormone enlists that good feeling. And you just play with it and play with it and play with it. And the secret is knowing when it's done. And what I always do is give him sounds that give him the ability to fuck with them or change them over time. So it can sound one way when it starts and then it can progress. Uh, and that's what musicality is. And it could be the sound of a guitar and drums or it could be the sound of a toaster and a dog barking. You can construct sounds that are not... Um, conventionally accepted as musical and, and construct them in a musical way where your instincts say, oh, oh, I get it. Oh, it's changing through time. And it, every time I get bored, it changes a little bit. You know, it's like this balance of expectation and predictability. It's too predictable, you change it. When you get too confused that change, you make it predictable, get back and forth and back and forth. That's kind of the process. I mean, but it gets to the point where you're not wondering what the effect of a certain module will do. You know it will do it, and you decide whether or not you want it affected that way. The basic thing is there are five parameters of sound. There is spatial location. Where is the sound coming from, right? Okay. There is pitch. There's amplitude. There's duration. And there's timbre, which some people call timbre, which is the quality of the sound. The difference between a flute playing a C and a tenor sax playing a C. It's the same pitch, it's the same amplitude, but these are two different sounds, okay? And one thing I do sometimes is I am very aware, am I affecting all five parameters or am I consciously not affecting spatial location? I don't want it to move. I don't want it to pan. And that's one thing that you can do to kind of check yourself and say, is this a mature, developed, interesting sound that that has wind, meaning, will Danny like hearing this over two, three months? You know, I have a funny feeling that, you know, after this European tour, that we're going to pull that whole patch down and start over now. That's great. I would love to hear yeah. other new stuff. Yeah, I'm sure you're aware of the fact that I've now redesigned a case. Yep. We're changed. We're putting all those modules into a road case format. So we're already starting over. And he's probably going to say, okay, let's drum up something new. I don't. Was it you or somebody else remind me that we're coming up to grape harvest season? So 
So Maynard is not going to be available for a while. But they'll, I'm sure they'll start touring in the fall again. They always do. I would not know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think you're the, uh, you're the closest person I've met to the band so far. Oh, okay. Uh, which, again, uh, I appreciate everything that you've told me. And I'm not ending the interview. I just want to say that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Nothing but nice to me. Well, and, he, and I told him I was doing it. Oh, cool. Okay, the big thing happened about seven months ago. I was asked to be on Kevin Key's podcast. And Kevin, who is an extraordinarily close friend of Dan's, said, can you give a tour of the tool room? Listen, anyone else had asked Danny would have said, fuck, no way. And I said, dude, I'll ask him. But, you know, honestly, it was me. I wouldn't take that security risk. So I called Danny. Danny said, yeah, fuck yeah. Did you design really good passes and all the machines and just show it around? That was the first time that room had been shown to the outside world under the approval of the band. Yeah, I've seen, okay. the, I'd seen the pictures of it. Uh, but this was a, like a tour of the studio, including showing the gold records, yeah. including showing Dan's picture with uh, George Takai and the Barbie doll that's made in his likeness. And the, <laughs> okay. and, and, I mean, and the little plaque that says, I'm Rick James, bitch, or something, right? That Rick James's old API console that he did, uh, Super Freak Gun. Oh, wow. He even showed the uh, coffee mug with the boobs on it. Yeah, and his computer screen that said titties. Yeah. So that was that old, but that was a big deal. That had never, ever happened in the history of the band. I mean, you know, I mean, the room is really secure. You can't get near that facility without being on 25 cameras. It's kind of looking into George Clooney's bedroom, you know, it just doesn't happen, you know? I, I, again, I, I saw the pictures. They got the guitars above on the wall, a bunch of machinery. Yeah, I, I know it does something I, with sound. I, right. I know there's compressors and you know, like other synths and modules and stuff, but I mean, I have no idea how it works, but it is yeah, definitely they, interesting. Funny, they, could, they could track their albums there. They do not. Some of it was recorded there. I know that Adam's guitar solo for, for Tempest was recorded in their studio. You know, they're hiring other people. Joe Barisi, look them up. Look at his studio. I mean, he does the producing and the mixing, and he works out of his studio, you know, and and your tool. So go to the best room in L.A., and they surely did. A&M uh, Studio D, where, Chris, my dog Dakota pissed on the uh, Charlie Chapman footprints that are inside that. That's the old uh, <laughs> Chapman studio. Uh, so when you guys were first creating, uh, or when you were first creating the sounds, and, and you give them to Danny, and he's starting to do them live. Does he bring you out to when they're setting up for live stuff to make sure everything works the first time no, live? No, no, only when if they're playing LA, they're going to give me a tech pass and I'll test tech pass and I'll go back there. But I don't need to because I've documented everything. I've worked everything out. He and I have had the meeting. I, I said, you know, okay, Danny, let's start it. Let me hear, see what you're doing. Hey, remember, you can do that. That job right there will affect this if you want to. You're not going to think, we have worked this shit out. I get, oh shit, phone call. There was two times in this tour where I got the, uh, oh, you shit. know, the FaceTime. Uh, but it doesn't happen much because we've worked it out. And you have documents yeah. and folders and backup cables yeah. and you have contingency yeah. plans, which again is what makes yeah. you a master, right? Yeah. Well, it, 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 it's like that with every instance. 
you just have to do that. This is this is the big time. This is the you know they like they call the major leagues the show. This isn't fucking uh, Scarberry Alarm Clock um, uh, cover band that's playing the Palomino in Van Nuys. This is fucking Tool with eighteen thousand people. Uh, you know, in L.A., I mean, America, their average audience is twelve to fourteen thousand people. In Europe, it's eight to ten thousand people per night. You cannot fuck it. You, I am not going to embarrass Adam Jones. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah, you know. So something interesting I've noticed about synth music, other than it's very experimental, it 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 seems very ambient and atmospheric. And a lot like film scores. So I'm curious if you've ever done any film scores. Oh, yo, you mean my stuff? Yeah, this is a funny story. I have done film scores. I have not done the big time because I know the schedules would give me uh, aneurysm. Okay. I have very close friends, many of them, that do that still. I'd like to do two ambient records with a friend of mine that I've known forever, guitarist. We sort of started with Frippinino. Late, I stopped only because the experimental stuff that's really in my roots, nobody wants to listen to it. And it was really nice to do music that actually someone there's an audience for. We got on 24 standard rotations of 24 different ambient radio stations, and we sold really well because there's a fucking audience for it. Uh, the experimental stuff that I did with Jill, which is not really hardcore experimental, it took its one breath and it, uh, it took one step and had a terminal breath. It did horribly. And it's a great record, but uh, even with Danny Carey and Ty Paul Sandra playing on it, but uh, no one gave a shit. That music never took off. So yeah, I went into ambient and it's very pleasing and I, I, it's not always pretty. I'm not trying to make it pretty. Uh, there's some of it that's very dissonant, but and it's dark. Just, and dark. Yeah. But yeah, we kind of did it. You can say I sold out. Because I fucking needed it. I, you know, I was so tired of working on this record and having some people who like it love it, but no one really giving a shit. And now with the ambience, don't they give a shit. I'm working on a record now with the guitarist. It's kind of kicking the shit out of me. And, uh, but I'll get there. I don't ever think somebody sells out, in my opinion. I think you buy in, which is, you know, just like, you know, I do podcasts, I, I make short films on the side. That's why I'm interested in whether or not you did for, uh, film scores. I do this podcast. I, I do photography. I do a little art. And you, you just can't survive sometimes doing the most experimental shit. I mean, even when you look at Tool, they have a whole song about how it's ridiculous, I think, to say that you sold out. I mean, we, we, we live in a specific type of environment and you know capitalism and you, you gotta you gotta survive you know yeah yeah and it doesn't mean yeah, but, you it doesn't mean you don't love to do the experimental stuff doesn't mean you're gonna stop yeah. doing it but you can yeah. you can make good music that you know people yeah. will listen to and that doesn't make you any so less funny. of an artist and i think the trick really is and it's something that tool pulls off really well is that they can make this complex music that has depth is very layered a lot of moving parts, odd time signatures, but at the same time, it's also catchy and it has heart. It's also extremely marketable. There's a guy who's been a buddy of mine forever. His name is Steve Roche. And in ambient music, he's basically the equivalent of Paul McCartney. I mean, he's, he's an idol. And he loved this stuff that Miles and I were doing to the point where he wanted to be part of it. And I mean, and we're like, I can't believe this. And, and 
it was great that he participated. He also let it be distributed by his distribution company, which gave us an opportunity to an audience we never would have been exposed to without him. And it, and it was very helpful to us. Okay. Do you guys do uh, live shows? We have a live show. The show was supposed to be three years ago, two years. And uh, Miles was not going to do it. So I enlisted a guy named Chris Pittman, who's a lifelong friend of Danny's. He used to be in Guns N' Roses. Okay. We had one rehearsal, which just went so well. He totally got it. Okay. He just totally got it. And he's mainly a keys player, but he also is a fantastic guitarist. And I left his one rehearsal at his house, got in the car, turned on the radio to hear the mayor of Los Angeles has shut the city down. And it would remain shut down till the fall. I was like, okay, there it goes. Anyway, two days later, I think when I got home, I went to the website for the festival we are supposed to perform on, and they said it was canceled. <laughs> so, um, and I think I could get Chris involved again, but I don't know, man. It's been three years. I don't know. I'll say this. The next time you have a live show, I'm going to be there. I would love to see oh, okay. what you're doing live. And I think there's yeah. people listening to this podcast who really love what Danny Carey does with this instrument, who would love yeah. to see it on a whole different level and just have never been exposed yeah. to it. Uh, the rumors that Danny is working on an electronic album is not yet true. It's something he might get to, but he isn't actively working on it. You have to understand something. He's a father. He has family and and there's demands to that and he also is in one of the biggest working bands in history and he has I can't talk about it yet because it hasn't been announced he's played track drums on two really big projects that are going to blow people away you know and he does his gigs as a baked potato he doesn't have he doesn't have a lot of time okay it would be lovely he would love to do it but he is not actually working on an electronic album well, when he when he does later in in his life or whenever he gets around to it, I guarantee there's a, a shit ton of people that are going to listen to it. And he deserves every moment of it because he's never he's never ever taken it for granted. You know, I remember when Fear Inoculus came out. He says, "I'll tell you what, brother, we can't wait twelve years on the next one." <laughs> you know, I got seventy five. No one's going to give a shit. You know, no. So, I, uh, there's a, I will say as a fan, I will keep going and listening to Danny Carey well into his 80s, I'm sure. I do not think, I have nothing to stand back as on, but I don't think they will exist when it becomes a cover band. Like the last, as glorious as it was, to see King Crimson with eight players and the, what, the almost 10 years that they toured doing their old catalog. I can't see them doing going that direction. So if they can't be influential, if they can't be different, I don't think they would would, would continue doing it. But they are far from that place. I know for fact. And I, I will say, yeah. you know, again as a fan, I, I agree. If they become a cover band of themselves, then it's it's no longer like I don't I don't want to go see Tool where there's somebody else playing drums or somebody else playing guitar or somebody else singing. Yeah. Or, Somebody else playing bass. Oh, it, it, it couldn't. At this point, it couldn't. It no. couldn't. It couldn't. I mean, none of them could be replaced and have it work. And, uh, you know, I mean, each one of them are so fundamental, especially Justin Chandler. I mean, if you oh, notice, yeah. a lot of those tunes start off with a lick that he comes up with. Oh, he's phenomenal. Okay? <laughs> oh, he's phenomenal. Yeah. I, I would hate to yeah. say that he's underrated because I don't think he's underrated. 
at all as a bass player. He's, you know, one of the best in the world. But what I don't think people really realize is his melody game is just on point. I mean, yeah, he can you know, they, he, he just writes the craziest riffs. Yeah, and he's not really taking the role of a, I mean, a lot of the times he is, but there's all, he's not really taking the role of a conventional bass part, is he? He no. is the second instrument. And that's the lovely thing about Tool is they are so simple. And everything is homogeneous. And there's these are definitely parts to be written and worked out, you know? I kind of see it. I kind of see Adam and, and Justin as like a large piano. Yeah, or, absolutely. Yeah, or, it, look, he's going to sound terrible, but isn't Adam sort of a rhythm leadist player? You, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's I mean, he solos and shit, but. But he's not a shredder. That's not his deal. No. That would be fucking horrible if he yeah. was doing the kind of things that uh, Rush did. That would uh, that'd be terrible. Invincible. About three quarters in the way in the. And if there is that instrumental section is about 10 bars long where they're all playing in almost unison, but they have definite parts. And Danny does that great opening of his uh, hi-hat that lasts a whole beat. And if you'll notice, his drum, snare drum, is tuned to the fifth and the scale they're playing in. And it's just so beautiful, but it's it's congruent. It's a, It's a... It's like a string quartet. Yeah, that's probably my favorite Tool song at the moment right now is Invincible. Um, yeah, I know. Mine first was Numa. I never understood why they released the single of Fear Inoculum. It's a great song, but Numa was, I think, much more of a single kind of thing. And then uh, Invincible just blew me away. Yeah, and it's what I use to set up my speakers in my studio, by the way. <laughs> okay. I, it's what I use for people's miles of all open with the speaker system I have in my studio. I just pumped that in and had not sit in my chair. And I got the speakers, ATCs, I got a recommendation because Danny started using a bigger version. That Joe Barisi is the guy that got Danny in the room and they're incredible speakers. Here's a quick question about the patches. How hard is it when Dan, like Danny or you are, are playing this instrument, is it to make the same exact sound twice? It's very easy. Okay. This is the biggest myth. Okay. I, I love younger people. <laughs> they give me hope for our future. I really think that 30 years, because of young people, racism is going to be finally stamped out in this fucking country. Okay? So don't get me wrong. But this myth that you can never get it back, if you let it play for 12 hours, it will be completely different. It was only different because you don't understand the complexity of the slow-moving, wandering variables that you've set up it will go back to where it was and you can write it down if you write it down well enough pull it all out and bring it right back but you have to know what to focus on there's a romanticism right involved with the idea that you can never get a sound back unfortunately it's as untrue as birds aren't real okay i i completely understand what you're saying and 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 what it means in the context if you if you're riding that wave and know how to ride that wave, you can you can bring it back. Yeah, absolutely. Here's the deal: that I was involved with a documentary that's very helpful in my career uh, called Pat CV. It's on uh, Prime, Amazon Prime, and there's other guys in there that have bigger careers than I do, much bigger. Saying this nonsense, I'm like, whatever, dude. If it makes you seem magical and really talented, and in the moment, that's great. But it, it is surely not true. Okay. So, I mean, I based my whole deal with Tool on repeatability. And I, I fucking better, dude. He doesn't want to sit there 
the worst thing you can do is put Danny on stage and have him be embarrassed. I mean, he's standing there alone with his band stand, you know? So here's a quick question. So, what is the band doing in the back while he's drum solo after? The, I have no idea. I, that's a good <laughs> question. I have no idea. Fair I enough. No yeah, I have no idea. But they really do love the drums. The, the, they love that section of the show. That well, I do know. My girlfriend, who is not a huge Tool fan, I mean, she, she likes all the stuff I do. She knows how, I don't want to say serious, but she knows how invested I am. You know, I obviously have a Tool podcast. I have tool posters. I, I go to a ton of right. tool shows. She gets it, but right. she's, she's not in it. Like I'm in it. And, uh, yeah. that's, that's her favorite part of the show. All the time I've dragged her. I listened to your last podcast when that guy kind of dissed the, uh, purple and yellow in that poster. That guy needs to drop and do 20. That is Danny Carey's two favorite colors. I figured. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, when in doubt, painted purple. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I think I, mean, yeah. I think it's because he's from uh, uh, I think uh, Alabama or no no, no he's Louis- from Kansas City but he loves the L.A. Lakers. No, I mean the the guy on the podcast is from the South, oh, so oh, 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 oh. he he may have some biased opinions on on those colors. I, I guess you know, but yeah, that was pretty funny. I was like, dude, where have you been? I mean, <laughs> you know, everything. I mean, I I'm I, I'm not kidding you. If you want Danny to eat it, if you want Danny to like it, make it purple. Okay. I'm going to keep that in mind. I think I'm going to change yeah. my logo to uh, purple. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you could come up to him with just like a patch cable, a Mogami patch cable, it was purple. His eyes would well up like, uh, like uh, you do a Roger Rabbit, you know? Yeah. He'd love it. That's so, hilarious. That's pretty funny. I hope CJ hears that. Don't diss the purple and uh, yellow. As soon as I saw yeah, that yeah. poster, I thought, this is this is all Danny Carey. And let me tell you, Danny uh, yields a lot of power in that band. They have great respect for his musicality, but also for his word. He doesn't ask for a lot. Of, he doesn't have to ask for a lot of approval for the things he wants to do. Uh, it's all. It's the most. Those guys love each other. I've never seen. I mean, how long has it been? It's pushing thirty years now, yeah. right? Great respect for each other, and they respect each other's space. They respect each other's other projects. It's phenomenal how those guys love each other. And again, I think part of the whole atmosphere of the band or like you were talking earlier in the episode with the mythology that people create, it, it, part of that is not having an ego. So I yeah, think that's no. what the band has really done well is keep their egos out of it. I mean, they got a good thing going. Why would they want to, you know, mess it up with, oh, you're in that band or you're in that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And also, I, you know, Danny talked about it in a podcast earlier this year, but I will contest they were rehearsing that album. I mean, I showed up 2010, and I was always going over wow. there. So he gives me a lot of side projects outside of things he'd like to. Could you make it so this happens when this happens? Just modifications of the studio. And they were rehearsed every day, Monday through Thursday, starting at 1, and then at 4 or 5, every fucking day. I heard that record 3 million times, but I had never heard it with Maynard. Oh, here's a great story. So they record. Every, they record the rehearsals and they would blow CDs so they could stick them in their cars and listen to them on the way back home and back to the studio, right? And for Maynard, they would upload it and he would download it every day. One night, three in the morning, Adam showed up because he forgot his CD. And I said to myself, dude, you're going to be back in three hours. What is the deal? So you're, you become familiar with what you're 
been listening to. And then when I heard what Maynard did, all those melodies, he just puts those on top. He invents those melodies. The guy's a fucking genius, okay? And his singing on this last record, I thought was a paradigm shift, okay? He's not so angry. It's almost more progressive, right? No, I love it. But yeah, but he uh, he did, that's all him. And Danny is like, oh, you just wait. You just wait until, and not knowing what he was going to do yet, but it's like, you just wait till Maynard is done with this. And he, he, he worked extraordinarily quickly on that. How long do you think it took Maynard to uh, come up with? Oh, yeah. It's like a month, maybe. Maybe. Until he was finished tracking. Wow. And what they normally do is they'll record in a studio. They'll lay down all three of them playing at once. And then they'll give Danny two weeks to redo all his drum parts if he wants. And then he goes to Justin. And then it goes to Adam. And then Maynard will do it. Okay, And then they mix that all together. And by the way, they still record the tape. They don't record the digital. How do they get it from analog to digital to like make a CD or something? Oh, they mix to, to analog. Reese will take all the the uh, digital at that point and then mix it. But what they have gotten is the benefit of the warmth of analog recording. And you talked about tubes and you talked about you were alluding to distortion and the beautiful, beautiful distortion of tubes. They, they've captured all that. Okay. So they can go to digital at that point. That's a very good question, Chris. I wonder that myself forever. But but they do it for the warmth of the tape and the saturation. Makes a lot of sense. The last thing I'll say, I would love to see a drum battle or like a duo or like a duet. Maybe like you at the baked potato doing some synth and Danny soloing over it. When's that, well, that show? You know what? That, I am convinced that I was named allowed to be involved with fear inoculums because I said to him once, hey, look, if you need any help with the record, I'm here. That's all I said. I haven't put that bug in his ear. That, that to me would be fantastic. I don't... Maybe uh, maybe he'll listen to this podcast and, and that'll be the bug in his ear without yeah, you actually you having to ask him. Even though I kind of did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I yeah, technically look, I really asked. Enjoyed, yeah. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for having me. I'm on it. Yeah. And, and I would love to have you on again. I'm going to, you know, yeah. keep you in touch. I'm sure well, you have phenomenal it. stories to tell that we haven't even gotten to. And I'd love your perspective. I have, yeah. I, have yeah. I have a bunch of stories I can't tell as well. Okay, one thing you have to do is uh, loyalty is everything in this world, my yep. friend. And uh, he couldn't get a guy that's more loyal to him. I mean, we're all the same. We all exactly. And, and, and from what you've told me today, I think it's um, given back by him as well. Yeah. It's reciprocated. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Oh, listen, I, uh, I'll, I'll sell you that book he wrote. And I helped him on. I pull out my copy of it. I said to make it out to my dog. And he was like, are you sure? Because he knows. But he said, thank you for the inspiration. I mean, this is fucking amazing. Okay. Yeah. Like, who knows? I have, look, I have no grandiose ideas. I am not a narcissist. Okay. I pinch myself when I see things like that. But that's one thing that keeps me going. You know, I'm not doing this for the money. I'll tell you that. Not my motivation. No. And I don't think money could, you know, buy that kind of admiration from a great. If Danny no, carries. No, no, it won't buy the admiration. It will buy participation. And there's certain bands I've alluded to, I've worked with, so that's the only thing that's working. Okay. We're only in it for the money, but this tool is not that. And I think that's why I gravitate towards this 
I know I, I have lots of other favorite bands that I could have done podcasts with, but there's just something pure. It seems like about tool and yeah. maybe some people will disagree with me on that, but um, talking to you has just reinforced that idea for me. Yeah. So thank well, you. Thank you. Fred. Peter Grenader. I, I really appreciate you coming on. I'll post a bunch of links to your music. So if you're listening, uh, look at the show notes for the episode and, Go check out Peter Grenader's different music side projects and websites and all that good stuff. All right. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for listening. Didn't I tell you that guy was great? Peter was super cool. Uh, I really liked it. He likes dogs. I like dogs. I like dogs. Anyways, I hope he comes back on, on the show. Please uh, look in the description notes of the episode. He's got a lot of really interesting and cool music out there and a lot of really fun projects. So find his stuff. And Danny Carey, if you do listen to this, I would definitely like to see you and Peter battle him on the modular synth, you on drums. Or make it interesting, you on the modular synth, let him play drums. See how that works out. Or let me play drums. We'll do it. Anyways, news. I'm going to Europe. I'm going to Europe, y'all. I'll see you out there. The last three shows, Poland, Prague, and Budapest. I've never been out of the country, so we'll see how it goes. Europeans, don't hostile me, please. I'd really appreciate it if you don't cut my ankles. Nonetheless, follow me on Instagram, spiral underscore out underscore pod website spiraloutpod.podbean.com keep an eye out for some european episodes and more artist fans and people who work behind behind the scenes with tool coming up thank you so much for listening spiral out